Good morning. So nice to see all of you. Thank you, Pastor, for those kind words. Uh, there used to be a guy, a black guy on TV, and one of his statements frequently was, Did I do that? You may have remembered that guy. And uh, so I appreciate all those kind words. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to come here today to preach the Word of the Lord. And I was thinking if uh, if these worship leaders were uh, second string, then your regular folks don't have a thing to worry about. Wasn't that good? That was wonderful. Yeah. I love music. I've always loved music. When they lay me a Lay me on a slab. I still love music. Always I love music. And uh, so I really did enjoy that. Now, I have prayed about this today, and I know that's what pastors or preachers do. We talk about praying about our messages, but I have. And I'm going to do something differently today, and I think you'll catch on to it real quick, uh, how I'm going to handle my time behind this lectern this morning. And I do hope that You will uh, profit by it. You'll get something from it. If you don't, I feel like that I failed in my job. And if you're lost and you go out the door lost and you feel comfortable about it, I feel like that I haven't done my job very well. So I'm going to do what I can while I can. I'm 75 and still alive. I might be old, but I ain't cold. That's just the way it is. And uh, I brought uh, some little papers. I put out a little paper. I do some writing. And I put out a little paper I call the, the Brooks paper. And it's just going to be anything on there. If I read something, I like it. I'll give the author credit, and I'll put it on there. A few humorous things, a few serious things. On the back of page one, I talk about getting bee stung recently. And I titled, you've heard, Shakespeare, to be or not to be, that is the question. Well, to be stung or to not to be stung, that is the question. And uh, so I started to answer that question so you can read about that. And then I wrote a little thing, was asked to do a little thing about a, a the family. And I took the word family and made an acrostic out of it. It may or may not help you. I hope that it does. The psalmist wrote in Psalm um, chapter 66 and verse number 16. He said, Come and hear all you that fear God, and I will declare unto you what He has done for my soul. Father, I thank You for this opportunity. I ask for Your unction. I pray that minds will be opened, that their mental muscle will be flexed, O God, as Your Word goes forth today, that You will indeed make a difference in our lives, O God, because of our gathering together here this morning. And we'll honor You and praise You for what's done, for it's in Your name that we pray. And everybody said... Everybody said, why don't you give the Lord a good round of applause. If you're familiar 
with the book of Acts in the New Testament, and I'm sure that many of you are, then perhaps you might have noticed when you read it that the apostles and the disciples not only preached the Word as they were commanded by our Lord to do, but sometimes they took time to testify. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says, and when they had testified and preached. A good example of this is found in Acts chapter number 26. 32 verses, and the Apostle Paul talks about his conversion there. He's standing before a king whose name, as some of you know, was King Agrippa. He talked about his life before he was saved on the Damascus Road. He talked about his conversion on the Damascus Road. And then he talked about what was going on in his life at that particular moment. And that's sort of what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to share my testimony with you, and I'll be using some scriptures as we go along. First of all, I want to point something else out to you. Your testimony is extremely important. Now, I'm assuming everybody here today has a testimony. And if you have one, there's nobody on this planet, the person next to you, not even your pastor, as much as you love him, can testify for you like you can. If you have an experience, I said if you have an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody can tell it just like you can. It's effective. Paul talked about his testimony, and right before he got finished, he was interrupted by an official who said, Paul, you're beside yourself, which is another way of saying you're crazy. He said, much learning has made you mad. And I like the way Paul, he didn't rebuke him, he just said, most noble so uh, Festus, I'm not crazy. But I speak forth the words of truth and soberness, and that ought to be our desire as Christians, is to do just that. Can somebody say amen? And finally, when he got through testifying before the king, do you remember what the king said to him? He said, Paul, almost you have persuaded me to be a Christian. How many of you believe the Word of God this morning just like it's written? In the book of Revelation, the Bible said that you and I are overcomers through the blood of Jesus Christ and by the word of our testimony. I'm going to tell you something. I know with all of my heart that the devil hates our testimony. Think about this for just a moment. Because it portrays him as the loser and we are saved We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And in the same stroke of the pen, the apostles said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor powers nor principalities, nor height nor depth nor any other creature 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I can't speak for anybody else, but every time a door is open for me, I'm going to tell somebody what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I may not be an eloquent man. I may not be educated and have doctorates beside my name. It'd be good if I did, but I don't. But there's one thing I do have that I'm not ashamed of, and that is my testimony. There was a time in my life, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, whenever I bow before an old-fashioned altar, and Jesus Christ saved my soul, the first verse I ever committed to memory was 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. It told my story in microcosm. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. I'm going to tell it here. I'll tell it to the next person I feel led to tell it to. I talked about getting bee stung. I've been stung all my life. I had one small reaction 20 years ago. My wife had bought me an e-bike, an electric bike. Fellas, don't ever get one. They're addictive. I love that e-bike. I'd been out traveling through beautiful Elk Garden where we live in Russell County, Virginia. Just before I got to my driveway, a bee got lodged between my glasses and my forehead and must have popped me three or four times. Before I got to the top of the hill, I was having trouble breathing. My blood pressure dropped. I told my wife, I said, Honey, get me to the emergency room. I reached over and turned on the flashers of the car, but people just kept passing us. That goes to show you we weren't going very fast. But you know what happened? The doctor said, I need to keep you overnight because we don't want these uh, uh, symptoms to start again. And I wondered, God, you know I always pray before I go bike riding. I don't understand why this happened to me. The very next day I saw her when she walked through the door. Several people had been in my room. Doctors and nurses and caregivers and advisors and this one and that one. But this young lady walked into my room and I felt the impetus inside of me to tell me you need to talk to that girl. She's in a bad way. And I begin to talk to her about the Lord. And all of a sudden she began to weep and cry standing right there. A total stranger she was to me and me to her. But you see, I had an opportunity to tell her about the one who saved my soul. Amen. And set me free and wrote my name down in the Lamb's book of life. I knew then why I was put where I was was to tell her about Jesus Christ. There's power in your testimony. The devil will rock you to sleep and tell you you're not, you're not worthy enough. You can't, you're not eloquent enough. You don't have a vocabulary that it takes to, to speak to people like you need to. 
you just tell them, amen, about the moment that you repented of sin. Call on the Lord and the Lord sets you free. If you love Him, if you've got a testimony, give Him praise in the house of the Lord. Oh, yes. Consider this. There was a man in the New Testament that you all know. His name was Lazarus. We know the story. Pastors preached on it, I'm sure. You've read about it. There's something about that story that we don't think about very much. Listen carefully. After Jesus raised him from the dead... The very next chapter, chapter 12, St. John. The powers that be at the time. The priests, Sadducees, scribes, Pharisees, got together and had a business meeting. And they came to the conclusion they were going to have to put Lazarus back to death. They were going to put his grave clothes back on him and stuff him back into the crypt where he was before Jesus walked up, commanded the stone to be removed, and said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I thought about that. I thought about Lazarus once he was raised from the dead going into the barber's shop. And you could just see the people, some of them probably turned white in the face because they had attended his funeral and they knew he was dead. His own sister testified and said, his body is beginning to rot, so to speak, if I may use that terminology, because he's been dead for four days. I can see him walking down the street to the outside markets like they had back in those days, going from thing to thing. But I'll tell you what else I can see. I can see some of those people whispering to one another. You know how people do when they see something they don't understand. They started whispering to one another. And the buzz was, I know he was dead, but now he's alive. And the devil couldn't stand it. He was a walking, talking, pulsating person who had experienced the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and the devil won't him dead. You know why the devil fights the church? He doesn't want the world who's lost to ever hear the truth. Jesus said to his disciples, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make Make you free. Don't it feel good to be free today? Can you give God some praise if you're free indeed? Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Help me, Jesus. I was born the first time. On March the 27th, 1947, 
ancient history, right? In a tiny little sleepy town known as Rural Retreat, Virginia. Anybody know where that is? Three or four people? Hey, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Rural Retreat, Virginia. My mama told me years ago, she said, she and the doctor had an argument as to what time and when I would make my triumphant entry into this world. The doctor said, he'll be born on the 26th. My mama said, no, my son will be born on the 27th. And guess who was right? My mother was right. By the time my parents had finished their family, listen to this, it consisted of seven boys, one girl, and mom and dad into the equation, and we had ten people living under the same roof sharing a very small restroom. We all grew up in the country. And though our dad worked very hard, my dad was a hard worker, but he didn't make a lot of money because it seemed like that money was something that was always a shortage of. Listen, instead of brand name clothes, we often wore hand-me-downs. My older brother handed it down to me. I handed it down to Dan. Dan handed it down to Bob. Bob handed it down to Bill. Bill handed it down to Dave. Well, skip one because it was a she. And David handed it down to Michael, the youngest one. We wore hand-me-downs. You can believe what I say when I say toys were not us. And when it came to haircuts, not to worry. My dad couldn't afford to send all of us boys to the barber shop, so he bought himself a pair of shears. And he would line us up one by one. He would cut our hair. He had one style. He called it a crew cut. Now, my dad would never have, and I appreciate his, you know, zeal and his efforts, and he did the best he could, and I praise the Lord for it, but he never would have won a prize from the barber community. But it was right about one thing. The crew cut, the name. We were a crew, a motley crew. We were a wrecking crew because we kept everything tore up and not working. When I was around 12 years old, my younger brothers and I started smoking weed. When I say weed, I do not mean marijuana. We didn't even know what marijuana was. We'd go down below the house and we'd get what they called rabbit tobacco. Anybody ever hear of rabbit tobacco? Three of us. Oh, it feels so good not to be alone. We'd get rabbit tobacco, and we'd put it in what we call poke paper. See, it used to be when you went to the store, they didn't put your stuff in a plastic bag. They put it in that old, thick, brown, ugly poke paper. We'd get pine needles dried up off the ground and smoke them in poke paper. We'd take leaves that, dead, that had died and fallen to the ground 
off the wood floors and we would put them between the poke paper and we'd smoke it. We'd go down in the garden and we'd gather those little brown things on the end of an ear of corn and we'd roll that up and we found out if we could get a hold of some of Mama's Christmas wrapping paper, the white, we'd get it and roll it up and it looked more like a cigarette and we'd smoke it that way. And if we really wanted to splurge, I mean, this was the ultimate, the zenith, the apex of those kinds of things. We'd find a pipe, if we could find one, and we'd smoke coffee. Didn't taste too good, but boy, it sure did smell good. That's how I grew up. See, that's terrible. Tell me about it. It gets worse. At the time I was 14 or 15, I started drinking real alcohol. Now, kids, if you're here, don't try this at home. I started drinking alcohol when I was 14 or 15 years old and unfortunately smoking real cigarettes. I hated school. Couldn't wait till I turned 16. Why? So I could quit School. I took eighth grade math three times. And whenever I got done the third time and finally passed it, two and two was still four. Things hadn't changed a bit. I hated school. I became the class clown. You know, the court jester. I practiced on making all sorts of weird, stupid noises. My English teacher, I won't call her name, one of the most wonderful ladies, precious older woman, Christian lady. I was a terror to her. Finally, one day I started in her classroom and she said, Larry, get your desk, move it out in the hallway and close the door. From then on, she put me outside in the hallway. People would walk by and look at me like I was some kind of a freak. And I guess I really was. Before I quit school, I was in a world history class. And it was that time of the year when kids were cramming and trying to learn so they could pass their tests. But not me. Oh, no. I had other fish to fry. It got too quiet in the room, so I'm sitting there and I started making this god-awful noise and the teacher disappeared i couldn't see her she was a big woman with big bones and she slipped up behind me and she came around with a haymaker she hit me over my ear immediately started ringing my face began to burn because of the pain and the embarrassment And I never made another noise in her room. That's the kind of person I was. And that's how I started out. One of the worst mistakes I made when I was young, if you're young, listen to this, was running around with older guys who some had cars or driver's license to take us places where we had no business going. One I rode around with who recently passed away. He drove like a maniac. He had wrecked, almost killed my brother, older brother, and he wrecked another guy and cut his, uh, cut his face up so bad he just went home 
And the last time I heard, and it's been years ago before he died, he just sat and stared at the wall. Did something to his brain. That was my best friend. And I rode with him everywhere he went. I couldn't wait to turn 17 because I was going to join the army. My dad was a World War II paratrooper. He and 17,000 other troops from Great Britain and America jumped across the Rhine River on March the 24th, 1945 to help bring World War II to an end. I heard about his exploits and I said, I I think I want to do that. I want to be a paratrooper. Problem was, I wasn't old enough to join, so they had to sign for me. Mom and Dad was 17. I went in, and sure enough, I went through all the training. I trained for almost a year and played war games. Signed to the 101st Airborne Division, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And one day, I found myself on an old antique of a troop carrier on the Pacific Ocean headed for a faraway place known as the South China Sea in South Vietnam. I was 18 years old. I'm only going to say one thing about what I found out about Vietnam. Vietnam was a place where one moment you could be alive and well, and the next moment in heaven or hell. Finally, I returned to the States a year or so later. Completed my final year of military life at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where I was assigned to the 3rd Special Forces Group. While I was assigned there, something happened. I write about it. I have it separate at home. It's called Fire on the Mountain. We were taken to Fort Carson, Colorado, where we were trained to climb mountains. I didn't like that much. Free climb, for the most part. No ropes. I almost fell to my death one time, still remember it. We were playing war games. The group I was with, we went up into a mountain and found an old mining shack, and that's where we spent the night. It wasn't much, but it had a roof on it. It was my turn to man the radio, to keep in communication with all the guys that were out there, those who were with me. Listen very carefully. I'm going somewhere. Those who were with me went to bed in the floor in their sleeping bags. There was one light in the room, one candle sitting up on a stud on the wall of that old camping place, one flickering candle. The last thing the man in charge said to me was, Brooks, don't go to sleep. Now, I had no intentions of going to sleep. It was a serious business when you went to sleep. I watched the flickering light of the candle, and I guess it had a hypnotic effect on me. I went to sleep. Sometime in the night I woke up. Evidently the candle had fallen over on the shelf. It lit the the wall of fire. Now what I'm going to tell you, I'll face God with it. If I'm lying, I'm frying. I know that's old-fashioned, that's the way I feel. That's what I believe. When I looked at those flames for a millisecond, for a millisecond, as far as I was concerned, I was looking into hell. 
I jumped up and screamed to the top of my voice, and my leg and foot on one leg had gone to sleep. And I fell over in the floor, still screaming, thinking I was in hell. And all the guys got up and put the fire out. And the sergeant, who I thought would turn me in and have me in trouble, he asked me a question. He said, Brooks, are you okay? And of course I said, yes, but I wasn't okay. I had big problems. Finally, the end of my three years in the military, I spent, unfortunately, a couple of weeks in a military jail for getting in trouble. I won't say for what. Though I had to make that up at the end of the three-year period. I was discharged honorably. Paid a guy to take me from Fort Bragg to Hillsville where I grew up. By the time I got there, I was so drunk I couldn't stand up. Now what happened was, that was an omen for what was going to happen to me in the next two years. I couldn't hold a job down. I was an angry young man. I slept in a in a room by myself with a gun, loaded gun by my side, looking out the window, looking for shadows of things and people to move. I would get in fights. I was paranoid with other people. People could just say something kind to me and look at me, and I thought they wanted to fight me. Finally, one night, I was out drinking, showing my ignorance. And folks, I had a lot of ignorance to show. Two state troopers caught me driving under the influence. They threw me in their cruiser and took me to the jailhouse in Hillsville. The jailer and I didn't hit it off very good. We got into a scuffle. He takes out his blackjack and he beats me up, puts a place in my head. They had to call the doctor in to examine my head after that. I had dizzy spells for some time. But back then, you know, you didn't take that to a lawyer. It just that's the way it was. He tried to beat the devil out of me. But he failed as usual. And there I am. I walked for a year. And I would go out in the woods and walk. I'm an outdoors person. I'd go out in the woods and walk around, and I'd ask myself tough questions. Is this all there is to life? Twenty years old, you've done this, you've done this, you've been there, you've been there, blah, blah, blah. Is this it? Is this all there is about life? And something got a hold of me. I look back at that now. I didn't know it then. I had no idea. But I look back on all that now, and I know the Holy Spirit was beginning to arrest my soul. I had no idea that was what was happening, but that's what is, in retrospect, as I look back, I see that's what it was. Listen, folks, God gets on your trail, or somebody you love, He gets on their trail, He hangs in there. Aren't you glad He does? Aren't you glad He does? Give Him praise if you're glad He does. He didn't give up on you, did He? You better pray He never does. So, I'm working in a factory, and I met this little girl with big blue eyes. About 
the same color of that color of your shirt right there. Very unique, beautiful little girl. I'd seen her, but I didn't have enough nerve. I wasn't much with the ladies because unless I had a drink or two, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to them. Courage in a bottle. Her name was Carol. I said, Carol, uh, uh, you think you might go out with me? But I don't have a driver's license. I got caught driving drunk, and you have to do the driving. That was uncool in the 60s. Talking about a deflated ego. She looked at me and said, well, I'll think about it. Oh, that was as good as no. I just knew it. She went over on the other side of the meal where we were working to tend to some machines, and I walked around, you know, I'm sure I ate my fingernails, and I did this and did that, and I couldn't take it no more. About 3 a.m. in the morning, I went over to her side. I said, Carol, have you thought about it yet? She said, yeah. I braced myself. She says, I'll go out with you. Now, listen, to know a little girl with big blue eyes could be this intimidating. She looked me right in the eye and she said, but if you ever show up drinking, I'll never go out with you again. Now, this is where you come in. Your ancestors come in. You want to know where we went on a date? an old-fashioned Pentecostal holiness organization. First time. <laughs> First time I'd ever been in a Pentecostal meeting. We go in and the preacher gets up a black suit and dark eyes and it looked like to me he was looking right at me. And he preached what Jesus said. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He gave an invitation. I got up and I went forward. I didn't know any scriptures. I knew John 3.16 and that was it. When I was a little boy, we'd go to Bible school and make things out of cotton and, and uh, ice cream sticks and glue. And that's all I knew. devil jumped on me. I'm telling you the truth. From lying and frying. I said that once. I'll say it again. But the time I got to the car, the devil jumped on me and said, You didn't get nothing. God don't want you. You're not worth anything. You don't matter. You're, you ain't got a thing. All I knew to do was quote John 3.16. I didn't feel a chill. I didn't feel a thrill. I didn't jump up and down. I didn't hoop and holler. I didn't speak in tongues. All I had was faith. A couple of days passed by. I'm getting ready to go back to work at midnight shift. And I said a bad word. won't tell you what it was. You could probably guess. But please don't. I said a bad word devil said, I told you, you didn't get anything. If you was a Christian, you never would have said that word. And I went out and I sat down outside my dad's house and I wept like a baby. 
begging God to forgive me. I was so sorry I said that word. There so later, we went back out on a date to the same camp meeting. East Piney, that little building out there, not in the church house, but that little building. Same man preaching. That night, I don't remember what he preached, but that night he said at the end of his sermon, all right, I want everybody that's saved to get up and come up here, and I'm going to pray with you. It was harder for me to get up then than it was before because the devil said, you, you hypocrite, you, you said that word. You, can't, you should never get up and go up there. My feet were heavy. I remember that. I remember that. My legs didn't want to go, but I made myself. I kept saying, John 3.16, John 3.16, God is my witness. I went up. He prayed. I went back and sat down in the chair. And sometime from the time I'd gotten up, went down and came back for the first time in my life, there was a peace that filled my heart. A peace, as the Bible says, that passes all understanding. And then I noticed... Those Pentecostal, you, some of your ancestors would talk in tongues. I never heard nobody talk in tongues before. And they'd jerk and they'd shout and they'd run. And I thought, boy, I don't know what you call that, but I sure would like to have some of it. And I started praying to that end. One night... Dad and Mom was there, and they had an elderly couple. They're all dead, been gone for years. But I rode over to the old Draper Valley Pentecostal Holiness Church. Dallas Jewell was the pastor. There was a young woman there. I think her name was Greta Campbell. Beautiful young woman playing the organ and piano and singing beautiful songs. I remember what she preached on. She preached from the book of Ruth. She gave an altar call. I felt like I wanted to pray. Now, please understand, I didn't feel this great push and shove thing. I just felt like I I just wanted to go up and pray. Everybody was going to the right side of the altar. That's the side she was on. I didn't want to go over there. I was a loner. I wanted to go to the left side. There wasn't much activity going on there. And this is what happened. So I don't believe you, preacher. Well, it's your prerogative. You believe what you want to believe. But I'm going to tell you what I'm going to believe. It happened to me, and as I said in the beginning, it's my testimony, and I'm going to tell you what happened. I walked up in that old church, and my knees hit the carpet. And when my knees hit the carpet, this is what happened to me. It was as if... I was being immersed in warm water. started at my knees and it started up through my thighs and came out up through here. And by the time it got up to my, my mouth, my arms were up and I was weeping convulsively and I couldn't stop. I believe that layer after layer after layer of stuff started coming out of me. I tried to quit. I never did like to be a spectacle and have people stare at me. 
And I knew they were staring. I mean, I was carrying on something terrible, but I couldn't quit and I didn't want to. Finally, I got up and went back to my seat. When I got home, I told my mom, I said, Mother, I said, the only way I know to describe what I, what I felt and what happened to me, I said, it felt like a river of water flowing out of me. And long about that time, Pastor, I hadn't read St. John chapter number 7. I read what Jesus taught. He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then there's what they call a parenthetical phrase. This he spoke of the Spirit. Holy Ghost gave me a verse. I started feeling like I needed to preach and I knew that If I was choosing somebody to preach, it would not be me. Maybe you, but not me. High school dropout, couldn't talk in public, hated to read. And those are qualities you're going to have to have if you're going to preach and pastor. You have to be able to study the Scriptures. I felt this impetus inside of me. The Spirit of the Lord gave me a verse, Romans 12. Listen carefully. If you're here... And God's dealing with you. This will work for you too. I beseech you. I urge you. I beg you. I implore you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I accepted the call into the ministry. Would anybody want to hear me preach? I won't call his name. It was an independent Pentecostal church. He wanted me to come over and speak for him. I called it speaking. I wasn't as loud and boisterous as I am now. But I went over. And I'm sitting there. My hands are sweating. I didn't know those people for the most part like, like most of you. I don't, didn't know you, but I feel like I know you now. I was having palpitations. My heart was skipping hands were sweating. When I was discharged from the military, I had a condition, a throat condition. They didn't know what it was. They'd double up and give me a shot of penicillin in both hips. When I got out, I took it with me. It was episodic. It would happen and it would go away and it would happen again and it would go away. Black places would come up in my throat. And the pain when I swallowed was excruciating. Pain. I had a good dose of it that night in that service. Finally, he called my name. He said, all right, good to have Brother Brooks with us tonight. Brother Brooks, come on. I went up. I did my best. It's kind of lackluster, but I did my best. 
I say this before the Lord. Listen carefully. When I came back, when I was finished and came back and sat down in the same chair where I was, I noticed the pain was gone. And never again did I ever have that condition. What's that mean, God healed you? To me, it meant more than that. It meant to me a young man trying to get started, ignorant, needed to learn, no wisdom. It was confirmation, affirmation that I was doing what God had called me to do. It wasn't long after that. I got more places to preach. I thought that the Lord was leading me to pastor. I voiced it to someone, and sure enough, they gave me a little church. Nobody else wanted it. I never will forget that. I went up there to look at it like I drove over to your building to make sure I could find it. I drove there, over there to look at it in Galax, Virginia. Had a rat laying in one room and a big wad of spiders hanging from the lights. District overseer said, well, preacher, I can't tell you anything now. There's three or four guys that want the church. And so I'll let you know. I'll keep you, keep you informed. He called me back and he said, uh, he said, nobody wants that church. I said, I'll take it. And I went there. God bless this. Stayed there five years. I left and went up Shenandoah Valley. Didn't stay there but a year. Learned some lessons there, but I came home. I went to Tazewell. I preached, pastored for six years. Had a wonderful pastor there. And finally, they sent me to a tiny town called Homemaker. Anybody know where Homemaker is? Little tiny town. Never changes. I was there 27 years. They appointed me as district overseer. I had my church and about five more to be indirectly responsible for. For reasons that I don't understand, I was asked to serve on two state boards. And on and on and on and on and on and on it goes. I'm going to close. You got a testimony. You shared. Now most anyone can stand up in this climate with other Christians and give your testimony. And certainly there's a time for that. You know that. But out there where it's wild and woolly, where everybody won't appreciate you, tell them what the Lord has done for you. We'll close with this. You remember the man, the demoniac of Gadara. His name was Legion. Remember him? Out of whom Jesus cast all kinds of demons. After that was over with, the townspeople came along, saw him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. He gets up when Jesus goes to get back in the boat. He gets up and he follows Jesus down to the creek, down to the lake. He wants to get on the boat and go with Jesus. Admirable, admit to do that. Jesus said, dupe. No, you're not going with me. I'll tell you what I want you to do. You go back to your town. You go back to where you live. And you tell them, listen, you tell them how the Lord has had compassion on you. 
and has done great things for you. Tell it, church. Tell it. Your joy will return if you'll tell it. Don't bag it up. Don't zip it closed. Don't put a padlock on it. Come and hear all you that fear God. And I will declare unto you what He has done for my soul. Seventy-five. I know I don't have much longer. But it feels so good, brother, to know the Lord as my Savior. And I think back where He brought me from quite frequently. Testify. Father, thank You for this opportunity. I hope and pray someone will take it to heart that You will deal with individuals about the necessity and the privilege of sharing their testimony. Use us all, Father, as we look around. We see the shadows of the great tribulation gathering. We live in a world that's gone mad. We know your coming is soon. In Jesus' name I pray.